If you like what we do here over at Acre Interview and would like to support us and help us grow, you can head over to our Patreon channel at patreon.com forward slash interview where you can donate monthly. We have different tiers ranging from $1 per month right up to $25 with each tier offering different rewards. All the monthly donations greatly help us to continue creating these video and audio interviews so please take a look and I thank you in advance. Enjoy. So, Neil, when did you first become interested in aviation? Uh, well, Mike, uh, uh, as a little boy, when uh, I was just about 10 years old, uh, in that was in 1971, we had the uh, war with Pakistan, which was the last uh, big war that the two countries uh, faced. And uh, we were living in a town uh, up in North India, uh, where I could hear the sounds of these, uh, you know, jets flying mm. overhead and uh, as a little boy, I was intrigued. Uh, that city, of course, had a lot of people uh, who would go to the National Defense Academy, and so was it from our school. So somehow I got uh, enamored by this uh, profession of aviation, and uh, we didn't have any history of anyone uh, being from the Air Force in, uh, in the uh, family, uh, but uh, my father used to work in the ordnance factories, so in, yeah. in some way he was related to this. Uh, uh, and I thought that if I grow up, I need to become a pilot and I need to become a fighter pilot. <laughs> and it worked out for you. So, yeah, what year did you join the Indian Air Force? And can you talk us through some of the aircraft you started training on? Yeah, so uh, I appeared for the National Defense Academy entrance examination. And uh, uh, I was very clear that I wanted to join the Air Force. And it just so happened that uh, I cleared the written exam and the interview process, which, uh, you know, the Services Selection Board, which takes over four or yeah. five days, at the end of which you have a medical and then the merit list uh, gets drawn up. And you give your choice when you're filling the form which service you want to join. And obviously the medicals are held according to that. So it just so happened that... Uh, uh, I was not cleared for the Air Force Medical and uh, I came back home and uh, those days there were no, uh, no mobile phones. I mean, you know, you couldn't get back yes. to the family. I was away somewhere. <laughs> I came back home and I told my father, I said, I'm, I'm not joining, you know, uh, because they told me you could join the Army or the Navy. Right. So I said, if it's not Air Force, I'm not going. <laughs> then I then we found out that there was a provision to appeal against the medical board decision, which oh. I did. And uh, then a higher authority did another medical check on me. And uh, they cleared me for uh, the purpose for which I was re rejected. Mm -hmm. And I was incidentally rejected for, uh, they call it uh, scoliosis, which is the curvature of your spine. I think they, you know, in the olden days, you didn't have any MRIs, you had some x-rays and some chap looked at it and thought that this guy's boy is not fit for the Air Force. Wow. So I cleared the appeal medical board and uh, I was fit to become an Air Force cadet and there I was joining the academy. So 19 January of 1979, I joined the National Defense Academy where we underwent training for three years. Uh, which was common for the first five semesters, five terms, that is two and a half years. In the last term, uh, we had uh, all the three services uh, cadets graduated into doing more training of their respective uh, services. Mm -hmm. So the Air Force cadets, we did some uh, uh, gliding on the Sedberg glider, and uh, we did about 30-odd launches. 
and uh, after that we went on to the uh, elementary flying school flying uh, piston engine aircrafts that is the HT2 mm. and uh, and then the uh, jets the kirans uh, and uh, uh, six months of the piston engine six months of the kiran and then we got commissioned into the air force and uh, this uh, at this was at the same time where the trifurcation also took place into helicopters fighters mm-hmm. and transports the interesting thing about what happened uh, in the academy was that uh, while i was undergoing my flying training uh, in the initial part when we did the piston engine there was no solo flying involved mm-hmm. and our course last course to fly the ht2 because uh, that aircraft was being phased out so since we were the last course we did not do any solo the instructional hours were all dual that is about 30 hours of flying i was amongst the first few to go solo in my course on the jet aircraft and after about uh, six sorties solo sorties uh, which basically involved you know your uh, handling and circuit and landing phase the first uh, phase which was outside the sector uh, uh was low flying with chase so i was uh, uh, in the cockpit alone and uh, i had two instructors who were chasing me we went to the sector we did our low flying and we came back for rejoin and uh, while we were descending down uh, from 4500 feet to circuit altitude to rejoin circuit and land i suddenly felt there was something amiss uh, i couldn't hear the sound of the engine and mind you i just had about 4 or 5 hours of total you know flying solo experience <laughs> at that stage and a young boy of 20 years old and uh, so as as i began to open throttle and you know simultaneously select air brakes in so that i could level out at circuit altitude i looked inside i found all the gauges were off the clock and uh, uh, the air brakes wouldn't move and there was no mm. throttle move uh, so and uh, i pressed the ptt there was no transmission <laughs> so uh, i i didn't know what to do and i must tell you that those uh, seconds you know one or two seconds uh, seemed like years to me they stretched and the thoughts that flashed into my mind were uh, you know this is it how can i die so soon i i mean you know it's it's too <laughs> early and I, whatever happened i think the survival instinct kicked in and uh, you had the emergency jettison button which was on the front uh, windshield i just you know canopy jettison i pulled the handle and then a sec- couple of seconds later i saw the chute had opened and wow. i was i was alive <laughs> wow what an incredible story <laughs> to the air force <laughs> But uh yeah let's talk about your frontline air aircraft um and is it pronounced air jet or um a jet a jet a jet a jet a jet a jet is uh, in in the hindi language it means uh, invincible wow interesting so what were your yeah. first thoughts of this aircraft because it's a tiny little thing yeah so uh, uh just to go back a little bit uh when uh, this uh, after commissioning we just did about 70 odd hours on the hunters 
and uh, after the hunters uh, people went on to the uh, mig 21s or to mm. the the western or the russian fleets and uh, i went to the uh, ajits and i was the only uh, you know officer from my course who went to the ajits mm. this aircraft was actually a fighter pilot's dream uh, you are literally like superman you know with wings around your body uh, and uh, you had no ladder you you would jump into the aircraft a total of you know some 28 or 29 feet in mm. length and just about 2000 kgs in weight you know after the sortie the the way the aircraft was turned around was somebody sat on the tail somebody lifted the nose and you turned it around <laughs> It took three or four people to turn around the aircraft, but uh, a fantastic machine to fly. Excellent at the controls. We used to wear a patch on our sleeves, uh, which said uh, "The Last Real Fighter," uh, and that was because uh, I mean you would probably be aware when uh, the RAF flew the uh, Nats, uh, the trainer was I mean the Nat trainer was used as a trainer for fighter flying. Mm. But the Indian Air Force didn't get any trainer, and uh, in the Ajit aircraft, when you went solo, you actually went solo the first time. Wow! Yeah. Because the duel on a hunter, uh, which was no comparison. So uh, we very proudly wore that on our, you know, yeah. shoulders. The last real fighter, and uh, it stayed till that. I mean, till its end of its service life. The uh i think the ajit trainer prototype uh, was developed by uh, hal in the snan aeronautics limited and uh, but, but it never saw service life uh, i think the first prototype crashed the second one never entered service mm -hmm. and uh, the aircraft completed its flying uh, stint in the indian air force without a trainer yeah so what was the actual main role of the aircraft um with the indian air force yeah so uh you see those were the days uh, when the uh, radars on the aircraft were just about coming in and uh, the main role of the aircraft was air defense uh, right. basically so so we were supposed to do combat air patrol uh, over the airfields or over uh, you know uh, vital areas and vital points as uh, also some amount of escorts to the uh, strikes you know uh because of its uh, uh, diminutive size it was very difficult to pick an ajit in the sky and those days were of close combat so mm. you had to get into a you know a turning or a vertical fight to shoot the other person down and uh, since the other people that is the ones who were flying the mig 21s were used to seeing large aircraft in mm. the sky because normally fly in formation with your own squadrons you don't fly with the other squadrons mm -hmm. so they found it very difficult to pick up an ajit and since we flew only formations with other uh, ajit aircraft you know we could pick up a mig 21 at say 6 7 8 kilometers so wow. that gave us, uh, they get that gave you an edge yeah in in terms of uh, rate of climb uh, it could beat the mig 21 uh, you know 20000 wow. feet uh, it was fantastic i mean the the trim change was minus 8 degrees when you retracted under carriage so the moment you retracted under carriage when you next saw the altimeter you were at 8 or 9000 feet <laughs> it was like that unless wow. you control it with the forward pressure of the stick 
So, Neil, how did the aircraft handle? I mean, you mentioned just before the climb rate was incredible, but I've heard the roll rate is amazing on the aircraft as well. Yeah, so uh, you would find that, uh, you know, uh, in terms of uh, wing loading, uh, the aircraft was fantastic, you know, 0.6 to 1. The turn rate was fantastic of the Ajit. The climb rate was very good. So when uh, when you looked at altitudes of, I would say, less than 10, 3 kilometers or 10,000 to 12,000 feet, the Ajit could very easily beat a MiG-21 in those days. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, there were some issues with the NAT in terms of the avionics, which were older, and the hydraulic systems had a problem. So when uh, the design of the Ajit came in, they tried to improve upon these uh, aspects to a large extent. The only, uh, you know, uh, problem that uh, the Ajit faced, or even the NAT for that matter, was because the gun was, you know, uh, through the intake. Ah, the front yeah. gun, yeah, 30 mm, if you remember. Mm. So there would be a lot of uh, gun stoppages in the aircraft because of the design of the way the belt, you know, moved and uh, disturbance from the airflow and all. But uh, other than that, uh, we fired rockets, we fired bombs, we, you know, did a lot of front gun firing. And uh, uh, this aircraft in the Indian Air Force uh, came to be known as the Sabre Slayer. <laughs> because uh, in both the 65-71 wars, it yeah. uh, shot down eight sabers. Mm -hmm. So how so, did was was the aircraft right uh, for the Indian Air Force, and how did other pilots view it? Uh, the aircraft, because the aircraft was right for the Indian Air Force, uh, and because of uh, the way it acquitted itself in both the conflicts that are the 65 and the 71 wars. Uh, is why the decision was taken by the Indian Air Force to manufacture this aircraft uh, indigenously as the Ajit yes. with some modifications. So this requirement came from the Air Force itself uh, to the air headquarters that we would like to continue to use this aircraft or see this aircraft, you know, in service. And uh, that is how uh, in 1976, 77, the first uh, of the Ajits entered squadron service. And uh, they continued to fly up to 1991. 91? Wow. Yes. That's yes. impressive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really impressive, actually. Um, I thought it would be 80s at the most, would say. That's, uh, oh, no. no, no. Wow. No, 1991. Like I, I flew the Ajit from 1984 to 87 is the time that I uh, switched over to uh, Jaguars. So I want to talk about DACT. Obviously, you mentioned just before you went up against the 21s. But can you tell in a bit more detail what the fight was like going up against one? Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, getting into a fight with the MiG-21, uh, uh, because uh, when we start this similar air combat training, you begin at a certain altitude. Uh, so it's it's not like you know you're taking off together and you know getting into a fight yes. uh, immediately. Uh, it is at medium level altitude. So uh, if we began the fight at ten, twelve thousand feet, then certainly the Ajit was at a disadvantage in maneuvering in the vertical plane mm -hmm. uh, because the thrust of a MiG-21 is obviously was much more than uh, mm -hmm. an Ajit uh, yes. at at those altitudes. 
but in a turning fight uh, you would find that you know you could actually cut corners in that circle and continue to close in uh, uh, behind the uh, mig 21 or if you could manage to get away from his visual bubble then you could actually pounce upon back on the mig 21 without him you know getting to know that uh, there's an aircraft lurking you know behind me so uh, it it had the distinct advantage because of its size and because of its uh, uh, turning performance and was it a quick aircraft 30 seconds the quickest time from scramble uh, you know we've scrambled and been airborne in less than a minute and a half wow. that means if you're sitting in your you know tent or something in your crew room and the scramble alert goes up you run to the aircraft jump into the cockpit get yourself strapped up about 30 to 35 seconds for you know cb switches on wow. start and you're rolling in about 40 45 seconds that's amazing it it can't be that absolutely and did you work with um other nations while flying that um ajit or was it just the indian air force you work with uh i worked with the indian air force only okay. uh, you mean to say yeah did you not uh, work with the british nats or their pilots or any other nations uh no uh, you see uh, uh till the 2000s uh, i think the indian air force uh, was very insular and our uh, you know engagement with the other air forces was actually limited to getting trained on the aircraft that we acquired mm-hmm. uh, to give you an example if the indian air force acquired the mig 23 or the mig 27 the pilots went to russia they got trained uh, and they came back and they flew the aircraft there were very few exercises that were taking place with the other air forces similarly with the uh, the americans or the you know the raf the training was limited to getting training on the uh, the hunter the canberra or the nat in the initial phase itself and thereafter we were actually much uh, on our own uh, till the indian air force started exercising in 2003 4 when you know uh, we exercised with the uh, uh, USAF and you know red flag and cop thunder and then then of course uh, now it's big time yeah so what squadron were you, uh, were you with and where were you based on the ajit uh i was based uh, i was in two squadron uh, the uh, you know the second oldest squadron of the indian air force no, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> number two squadron was called the winged arrows and it was based in a in a west bengal you know in kalaikunda the base called kalaikunda so that must have been a lot of fun you must have felt yeah like a real fighter pilot like in a proper frontline squadron <laughs> not jealous at all <laughs> no <laughs> but uh, before we move on could you share maybe a couple of stories from your time on the jet so that our viewers might find interesting you know we also had a role of flying uh, in the valleys uh the the squadron had an operational role uh in the northeast where uh, the country ends and you know you have china on the other side uh, where uh, you know in uh, the the hump so as to say where yes. uh, world war 2 conflict took place and all so we used to fly over there uh, in in the valleys and carry out uh, uh, valley flying so uh there's another uh, you know uh, interesting incident that i can rate where in 
uh, not me, but one of the pilots from the squadron, you know, went for a valley flying sortie mm-hmm. uh, into one of the valleys. And <clears throat> we didn't have any GPS. You were navigating by the thumb, mm-hmm. moving thumb display on the map. And uh, so uh, this two, ac- two aircraft formation went in for uh, uh, valley flying. And uh, suddenly, uh, one of them enters a cloud and, uh, you know, he doesn't know what happened. He just, uh, by the time uh, he recovers, he he finds that the ground is, you know, rushing at him like uh, crazy and he could see trees and leaves and branches and all that. And he pulls back at the stick and comes out of the aircraft and uh, finds the leader is nowhere. Uh, to be seen so uh, anyhow uh, this this uh, boy comes back lands and uh, you know legs trembling sweating <laughs> <laughs> he comes back home uh, i mean comes back to the crew room he finds the leader telling him uh, that uh, this uh, officer's name was chopi he says chopi where were you and this this youngster is so angry, he feels like giving a smack to his leader, you know, oh. that you have the uh, nerve of asking me. <laughs> <where were you? laughs> so he catches him by his collar, takes him to a, you know, isolated crew room and all. And uh, this guy, and Chopi is telling him, you know, you see what I went through. I, I could have killed myself. So the leader actually reaches into his pockets and pulls out, uh, you know, leaves, a few leaves and shrubs and tells him that I've just pulled this out from the drop tank uh, pylon of Whoa. my aircraft. You're telling me, you know, I, <laughs> my wife would have been a widow this evening, but come, we'll have a drink over and we'll have dinner together. <laughs> wow. So, uh, it was like that. <laughs> Lucky boy. <laughs> So, how many hours did you get on the aircraft, and how would you sum it up? Uh, well, I did about uh, 260, 70 hours, about thereabouts, on the Ajit. Uh, we did a lot of flying. Uh, aircraft availability was not never a problem. Uh, we, uh, because the Ajit had a, a bubble uh, canopy, something like the F-16 uh, mm. uh, that you see, uh, there would be a lot of glare of the instrument lights and all. Okay. So, uh, our squadron, the two squadron was the last squadron to continue flying the Ajit till it got phased out. And uh, our squadron started doing night flying as well in, in those days. Before that, Nat didn't do night flying. The Ajit didn't do night flying. So, we were, uh, I think we are a handful of a few people uh, at that time in the Air Force who could say that we were fully operational on the Ajit because we managed to complete our night flying syllabus uh, as well uh, on the Ajit. It was a uh, unique experience and I'm very proud of, uh, you know, having flown that aircraft. Oh yeah, absolutely. 